from uh, a little subject called a bloody book. Everybody say a bloody book. That wasn't everybody. You were still getting settled and getting everything straightened out. Say it again. A bloody book. A critic of Christianity once observed that the Bible is a bloody book. He was criticizing our faith, and he says, the Bible is so bloody. I mean, you cut it anywhere, and it bleeds. And it's true. From Genesis to Revelation, blood is a major part of the picture. It's a primary theme in the scriptures. And in a Bible full of blood sacrifices millions of them made by the hands of man. It's interesting to note that the first blood sacrifice and the last blood sacrifice was actually made by God himself. The first blood sacrifice in the book of Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had fell into sin, when they sinned, they became self-conscious, and when they became self-conscious, they became shame-conscious. They, they realized and recognized their shame. That's always a side effect of sin, is guilt and shame. Even people that don't even believe in God and have no confidence in religion whatsoever cannot escape the feelings of guilt and shame and unworthiness because of the results of sin. So Adam and Eve are standing there, and they're naked, they're uncovered, and they're ashamed by it. They're ashamed by their sin. They're ashamed by disobeying the commandments of God. So God himself comes down in Genesis chapter 3, and he kills two animals and sheds their blood. Then takes the skin of those animals to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve, not only covering them naturally, but in a way using it as an icon or an example that I'm covering you spiritually as well, that I'm covering your sin up, I'm covering your shame up, and I'm restoring you back to confidence in relationship with me. So the first blood sacrifice done by God. Then in the New Testament, the last blood sacrifice done by God as well. When God led his only son, Jesus Christ, up Calvary's mountain and God sacrificed his only son so that we, much like Adam and Eve, can be covered. We can be forgiven. We can have our confidence to pursue a relationship with God restored again. So I wanted you to take note of that if you're taking notes. Of all the blood sacrifices in the Bible, uh, the first one and the last one were done by God himself. So, yes, it is a bloody book. The scripture teaches that the life of the body is in the blood. Blood that has been shed, emptied out, poured out, is a sign that a life has ended and death has come. Now, before a pure, holy, and innocent God that has given the world a set of commandments that we have all, in one way or the other, broken. When all of us stand before God, the reality is, Romans tells us, that the punishment, the price, or the wages of sin is death. And that's what makes what Jesus Christ did on the cross during the Passover on the calendar, so beautiful. Because Jesus shed his life's blood. He literally spent his life to pay the wages of sin that you and I were indebted to. If you'll look at the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 7, it's a beautiful scripture. Speaking of Christ, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Look at somebody say, it's a bloody book. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. It says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us 
and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's what the blood of Jesus Christ did for us. So you got a heavy blood theme in the book of Genesis, and you got a heavy blood theme in the book of Revelation, and the critic was right. It is a bloody book. Now, what I want you to understand as we begin to consider the specifics of the Passover is that a detailed God built the New Testament gospel of Jesus Christ upon the foundation of the Old Testament Passover. You understand what I'm saying? The New Testament gospel of Jesus Christ is built upon the foundation of what God did the first Passover back in the book of Exodus when he brought his children out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And what I want you to consider is the themes, because the themes remain the same. Whether you're looking at the first Passover in the book of Exodus or you're looking at the Passover where Jesus died on the cross, the themes remain the same. And there's many themes. I don't have time to give you an exhaustive list, but I'll go in chronological order and give you the themes that sync up. And I'll give you as many as I can. Number one, the theme is the blood of Passover declares war on the enemy. Everybody say war. The blood is a weapon of war. Now, in the Old Testament, the event that set up God instituting the Passover in the first place was God sent nine plagues to Pharaoh. You remember all the plagues, all the frogs and the lice and the boils and the hailstones and the pestilence and all the water turning into blood and all that. You would think that Pharaoh would have said, man, if there's a God that can do all this, we better let these people go. But the scripture said, instead of letting the people go, Pharaoh hardened his heart. So finally, God tells him the nation of Israel that you're keeping as slaves. He's, God said, that's like my son, my firstborn son. You let my son go, or I'm going to come to Egypt and kill your sons. That was the conversation God had with Pharaoh. Let my son go, or I'm going to kill the sons of Egypt. So God instituted a tenth and final plague as his weapon of war against Pharaoh. The Old Testament, the Passover was about war. It's a theme. In the New Testament, God is doing the same thing he did in the Old. In the Old Testament, God's waging war against a system that was enslaving his people. In the Old Testament, that system was Egypt. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is waging war against a system that's enslaving God's people. In the New Testament, it was sin and death. That's why the scripture in the epistles uses those, uh, those words like Jesus conquered death and the grave and that Jesus has broken the dominion of sin over us. It's because, never make a mistake about it, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, a lot of things were happening. One of those things was God was declaring war against the systems that try to hold his people down, just like God was declaring war in the Old Testament on the system, Egypt, that was trying to keep his people enslaved. The theme is war. The next theme is salvation by faith in the blood alone. I want you to think about this. Salvation by faith in the blood alone. Whether you're talking about the first Passover in Egypt or you're talking about the Passover when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the theme is the same. Salvation by faith in the blood alone. In the Old Testament, God, God said, and we read it in the text, he said, I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to strike Egypt with judgment. I'm coming down, and I'm bringing judgment, and uh, there, there's going to be a death in every house in Egypt. And so the, the, the truth of the matter is, um, sin is sin no matter who commits it. And God is holy, and God is just. And the truth is, the Hebrews had sinned just like the Egyptians. The Hebrews were just as guilty as the Egyptians. 
The only difference between the Hebrews and the Egyptians on the night of the Passover is one group had faith in the blood and one group did not. One group was saved not because they were better people. They were saved because they had faith in the blood. Go to the New Testament. Let's see if the theme holds the same. Jesus is crucified and hung between two thieves, two criminals that are guilty of committing the same crime. But one of them is saved, and he's saved not because he is a better man. He's saved not because he had done some kind of works of repentance. He is saved not because, you know, he had a better pedigree or a praying mama. He's saved because in a moment of opportunity, he chooses to have faith in the blood, and the theme is the same. Faith in the blood alone released salvation, all right? So the themes are the same. Everybody say, the themes are the same. Deliverance. Deliverance is a primary theme of the Passover. God told Moses, after the Passover, Pharaoh is going to let you go. And not even the barrier of the Red Sea was able to stop God's deliverance in the lives of his people because deliverance was an attachment. It was a side effect. It was something that went along with the blood of the Passover lambs being shed. You're not listening to me this morning. Deliverance was a side effect. It was just something that accompanied the act of putting the blood on the doorpost and the lintel and applying it to their homes by faith that God would do what he said he would do. Deliverance was a side effect. All God initially told them that he would do is pass over them and not allow death and judgment to visit their house. But as a side effect, after they obeyed the commandment to have faith in the blood and apply the blood, God said, not only am I going to spare your lives, I'm going to open up every barrier in your way. If I have to make two walls out of water and let you walk through on dry ground, I'm not going to allow you to participate in the Passover and stay bound by whatever you were bound in before. I'm telling you, deliverance is a side effect of the Passover. Does the theme hold the same in the New Testament? The Bible says in Ephesians that when Jesus Christ died, he descended into the lower parts of the earth, into the holding cell called paradise, where every Old Testament saint that believed in God had been held up until the time of Christ. When Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth, Paul said that he preached the gospel to the captives and then led captivity captive and took them from paradise in the lower parts of the earth all the way up into heaven. Just like Moses, after the blood was shed, took the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt and into freedom in the wilderness and ultimately their promised land. There is a natural byproduct of deliverance that happens during this season. The Passover is an eternal season marked by God that's been established in God's time timeline in eternity, and there will be marvelous displays of deliverance this year, in this season, during the Passover. Not because a prophet said it, not because somebody preached you happy, because this is something God does. The Passover is about God doing what only God could do at God's will, at God's plan, at God's mind, at God's agenda. So if you've had a system that has been binding you and trying to restrict you and keep you down. I want you to start calling that system's name out. I want you to start getting in your mind. I am going to be delivered. Delivered in my health. Delivered in my finances. My family's going to be delivered. I am going to be delivered from whatever affliction, from whatever bondage, from whatever struggle, from whatever pain, from whatever's been going on, from whatever's been chasing me, for whatever issue's been beating me down on my back. I am going to be delivered and I'm not going to be delivered because I'm good and I'm not going to be delivered because I prayed a lot and I'm not going to be delivered for any other reason other than I have faith in a bloody book, in a God that does bloody things, in a God that established this principle in eternity that the blood has power. Everybody say deliverance. In fact, give God a praise right now by clapping your hands for deliverance. Oh yes. Oh, yes. Next theme, the blood that saves and delivers also brings blessing. 
It's a primary theme. Y'all are so boring today. This section is my favorite so far because y'all are at least smiling at me. At least smiling at me. Wake up if you're going to come to church on a Sunday where you lose an hour of sleep. Learn to get a double espresso. When you come into the house of the Lord, come with some energy. I need at least one person on every road to act like you maybe kind of believe what the word of the Lord is saying. I'm going to give you another chance. The blood that brings salvation and deliverance also to the same degree brings blessing. Okay. All right. A lot of people don't like this. A lot of people say, no, that's the prosperity gospel. No, that's just the bloody gospel. Let's look at the themes. Okay. First Passover. God tells Moses, tell the people to kill a lamb, put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. Death and judgment is going to pass over. Nobody has any problem with that. That's the doctrine of salvation. Same thing happened with Jesus Christ. When he shed his blood and his blood is applied to our hearts by faith, death and judgment, eternal death, eternal separation from God and judgment have to pass over us. Nobody has a problem with that. But everybody forgets that after that, after that, after that, oh, I feel my preacher coming. After that, the blood was applied. Moses got up and told the people, the favor of God's on you because of the blood. I said, the favor of God is on you because of the blood. And I said, the favor of God is on you. Not because you prayed eight hours and read the Bible three times. The favor of God is on you because of the blood. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the Egyptians and I want you to ask them for their money. And the Bible said they went and knocked on those doors, shaking in their boots. They had no idea what was going to happen. They thought the Egyptians were going to get the chains and the whips back out. But to their surprise, the Egyptians begin to empty their houses of their wealth and give it to the Hebrew people who had done nothing to deserve it other than have faith in the blood. Does the theme hold to the New Testament? In the New Testament, after Jesus Christ shed his blood, the Apostle Paul would later write, My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. If you ever sent Paul a bill, Paul would just look at the bill and say, God, this one's on you. My God shall supply some, a few, just the big ones. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. Paul, where'd you get that confidence? Paul said, if God loved me enough to shed his blood for me and give his most valuable possession, his only son for me, then I refuse to live this life for him and struggle under a grip of poverty and debt. My God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory because the blood that saves... The blood that delivers is also the blood that blesses. The themes are the same, Old Testament and new. Now, in Exodus chapter 12, multiple revelations that Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb and that the Passover lambs in Egypt were just a shadow and a type talking and pointing about him. The revelations are, are plentiful. I want to pull out a few about the Passover, about the blood, and about this season in general. Exodus chapter 12, 1 and 2, Moses said, This month shall be your beginning of months. One byproduct of the Passover is whenever you come in contact with it, whenever you celebrate it, whenever you honor it, whenever you sow into it, whenever you hear it and the revelation grows in your spirit, God says eternally about it that that moment is a new beginning for you. I prophesy over your life, not from my gift of prophecy, but from reading the scripture to you. There will be a new beginning this year. 
during Passover, God said, I don't care what month of the year you're in. I don't care what time it is. I don't care what the calendar says. The moment you come into contact with Passover, God said, at that point, it is a brand new beginning. I don't care how you failed this year. I don't care what didn't work this year. I don't care what hasn't moved for you this year. I don't care what mountain is in your way. God said, at the Passover, there is a new beginning, a new beginning for your mind, a new beginning for your health, a new beginning for your marriage a new beginning for your business, a new beginning for you to start over. He said, it's going to be a new beginning when I see the blood. Then he says in verse three, speak to the congregation of Israel on the 10th of this month, on the 10th day, everyone go take for himself a lamb. After proclaiming their new year, he gives them 10 days to prepare mentally and spiritually for their deliverance. Preparation is important for deliverance. Oh, I didn't want to get my sledgehammer out this morning, but I guess I'm going to have to go to work. Preparation is important for deliverance. Okay. Uh, you have to, you have to get in the mindset for it. I'm going to tell you something about miracles. They're funny things. They don't feel like when they come what you thought they would feel like before they come. Okay. They're funny things. In fact, you can be in the middle of a miracle and still feel all the way stressed out. You can be in the middle of a miracle and hear Pharaoh's chariots and horses chasing you and thinking you're about to drown in the water that's right in front of you. You can be in the middle of a miracle and be having sleepless nights with so much anxiety, no medication will work for you. You can be in the middle of a miracle and be having chest pains and affliction in your body. You can be in the middle of a miracle and not realize what is happening to you. So God said, I want you to tell these people I'm about to do a thing. In fact, I wish above all things as your pastor, I wish and hope and pray. I pray this over you. I pray that you never need a miracle. I pray your life is so good and so strong that you're never in a position where you need a miracle because we talk about miracles and we shout about miracles, but the truth about miracles is they're funny things. They're strange things. The way you feel when you're going through one would surprise you. I've cried my way all the way through a miracle. I've fought within myself all the way through a miracle. I've gone through miracles that I didn't realize were miracles until I got a year away from it and looked back. Miracles are strange things. So God said to Moses, tell these people, I am about to do a thing. That's what a miracle is. A miracle is when your hands can push the thing no further and you have to take it off and God steps in and does it himself. That is what a miracle is. God said, I wanted you to give these people 10 days to prepare themselves. That's why I've been preaching to you about faith and about hope. It's why we've been talking about the Passover. It's why we're showing you the cross. It's why we're preparing our resurrection seed, spending five weeks doing it. Because you have to prepare yourself for something like this. He said, tell them to prepare. From the, from the first to the tenth day and then... On the 14th, on, on the 10th day, I want them to, every man to take a lamb. Everybody say, every man, every man. take a lamb. Every man. every man take a lamb and keep the lamb from the 10th day to the 14th day. In other words, for four days, I want you to inspect this lamb. I want you to clean this lamb. I want you to make sure no ticks or no mosquitoes or no scratches or no wounds has come on this lamb. You got to take care of this lamb. And, and I want to give you five things about the lamb's blood. Point number one, they killed the lamb. Now you didn't hear me. Each man that took the lamb, cared for the lamb, fed the lamb, cleaned the lamb, had to turn around and he had to kill the lamb 
God wanted them to spend four days with the thing that was going to have to be killed so they could live. God wanted them to spend four days with the animal so that they could come to the realization this ain't some random animal. It's this animal. And this animal that is alive today ain't going to be alive tomorrow. And the reason it's got to be killed is for what I did. The reason it's got to be killed is so I can escape the judgment I deserve. So they killed the lamb. Salvation, a lot of people don't really have it because this concept has never truly, the pennies never truly dropped. This concept that until you realize that it was your personal sin that killed Jesus. I'm talking about the junk you've done in your life, the stuff you knew to do better, but you did bad anyway. I'm talking about the lies you've told and the lust you have and the anger and the unforgiveness and the abuse and the neglect and the pride and the, the things you do, the wickedness you do, you personally, it was that sin that forced Jesus to be killed. See, we don't have preaching like this anymore. It's not enough that you believe that Jesus died in some general way for all the people that, that are Christians. No, 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 no. It's not important that you believe that. It's important that you believe that Jesus died for you. The old hymn writer said it like this. Was it for crimes that I had done that he hung upon the tree? The answer is a resounding yes. It was what I did. It was what you did. They killed the lamb. Really be more appropriate for us to say in here, we killed. We killed the lamb. They killed the lamb. And then number two, they ate the lamb. Verse four, he talks about if the lamb is too much for one household, uh, go and share it with your neighbor. They ate the lamb. Notice this. They didn't just kill it. They didn't just apply the blood. They were told to partake and consume the lamb that had just given its life for them. Likewise, we are not just to ask God for his forgiveness and plead the blood over our lives. We are to continue to feast on Jesus, to feast on his word, to feast on his presence, to feast on him. Verse 10 said, let nothing be wasted. In other words, don't waste what was offered for you. He said, eat the legs, eat the feet, and eat the entrails. And that may sound disgusting to you, but it has a prophetic imagery. Because there's a lot of people that come to God and they ate the gift of salvation. They ate the gift of forgiveness of their sins. But they never eat anything else that's on the table. So they have a Savior, but they don't know that he's a healer because they haven't eaten that. They have a Savior, but they don't know he's a master because they haven't eaten that. They have a Savior, but they don't know he's a provider because they left that on the table. They they have a savior, but they do not know that he's a deliverer because they left that on the table. They have a savior, but they don't know he's a lawyer and a counselor because they left that piece on the table. He said, eat the whole thing. But then he says, it's amazing. Eat the whole thing. But then he says, if it ends up being too much. In other words, if you eat to the point you're stuffed and about to vomit, and you find that you still got more lamb, go next door, knock on your neighbor's house, and share the lamb. That's what we don't do. You know, 87% of people in this church will never bring someone else with you to this church that is unsaved. And that's not just this church, that's churches across America. We don't share the lamb. Christian world, you are walking around. If you come here and attend here, you're walking around full. You're walking around with knowledge and with revelation and with anointing and with strength and with word in you. And yet, you're not banging on the door of your neighbor, banging on the door of your coworker and sharing the lamb that you have. Jesus goes to the Syrophoenician woman. 
or rather she comes to him and she says, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. I need you to come and heal her. Jesus said, I can't do that right now. It's not the right time. Right now, my ministry is aimed towards the lost sheep of the house of Israel, towards the Jewish people. And you ain't Jewish, honey. You're Syrophoenician. So I can't give you that. Jesus explains his reason for telling her no. He says, I'm a father and it would be derelict of my responsibility if I took the children's bread and I cast it to the dogs. If I took what belonged to the house of Israel and I cast it over to the Greeks like you, it would be wrong of me to do that as a father. But the Syrophoenician woman said, I ain't asking you for the loaf that belongs to the children, but I could I get a crumb that they're wasting? You see all those leftovers they ain't eating? You see all those leftover revelations and leftover miracles and leftover healings and leftover strength that they're refusing to eat, acting like spoiled children? I could get what I need with just some of that. And when she said that to Jesus, he said, you want a crumb, honey? You can have a crumb. And she got her miracle off of a crumb. You've got a whole loaf. Could you give your neighbor a crumb? Could you give your coworker a crumb? Could you give that unsaved family member that all you do is argue with? Could you give them a crumb? Instead of an argument, could you give them a crumb? I mean, do you know that you have the ability within you to pray for people who are hurting? When you encounter hurting people out there in the world, you have the ability. I know you may not think of yourself that way, but it's because you're spoiled and you don't realize what you have. If you ain't got nothing and you're in this church, you got faith in the name of Jesus. Do you know that faith as small as a mustard seed in the name of Jesus can cause mountains to move out of people's lives? Do you know that when you run into somebody that's hurting, you don't have to be a shoulder to cry on, you can be a hand that lays hands on their head and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke that sickness. I rebuke that depression. I rebuke that anxiety. I rebuke that guilt. I rebuke that shame. I rebuke that devil. I rebuke it. But we don't, we don't share. We don't share the lamb. And yet it was a Passover commandment. During the Passover season, he said, I want every one of you share the lamb. I want every one of you share the lamb. If you get something good in church, I mean, it may only be one point I give or one sentence I say, if you get something good at church, go home and share the lamb. If you get some encouragement and you feel a little bit better than you did when you came in, then when you leave, go out and share some encouragement. If you get some revelation, share revelation. If you get some truth, share truth. If you get something, share it. Most of y'all don't even share it on social media. You share everything else. Share it. I mean, you don't have to, you don't even have to quote me. You can make yourself look real smart. You can say the stuff I'm saying as if you thought of it personally. I do not care. What's important is share the lamb. Everybody say, share the lamb. Verse number five, your lamb should be without blemish. In other words, the lamb had to be worthy. Now, this, this section will list, uh, this whole chapter will list several qualifications of the worthiness of the lamb. It, it would be exhausting to go through them all. It was an intense inspection process that they had to go through because the lamb that was going to be sacrificed had to be without blemish, no flaws, okay? And uh, for the few of you who are Bible students and actually would care about this point, there's probably not many and I don't blame you, but... The same laws Moses instituted for the Passover while they were still in Egypt for the cleanliness and perfection of the lamb were the same laws they adopted in the tabernacle of Moses, tabernacle of David, and all through the Old Testament tabernacle system. Through the whole sacrifice system, they were still obeying the same laws Moses prescribed in Exodus chapter 12 for the cleanliness of the lamb. And it's also just side note, interesting to note that in the Old Testament sacrifice system, all the lambs had to be taken for inspection on the Day of Atonement. They had to be taken for inspection at nine in the morning, and they were all they all had to be offered. The whole offering of the lambs had to be finished by three in the afternoon. Just interesting to note, Jesus Christ was crucified at nine in the morning, 
and he hung his head and died at three o'clock in the afternoon. So the lamb had to be without blemish. And in this sacrifice system, what would occasionally happen is um, somehow a defective lamb would get in the group, either a lamb that was blind or was lame or was sick, had some kind of disease, had a tick, a parasite, something. And occasionally a lamb would get in the group. And when the priest would go behind the veil one time a year to offer the blood of the lamb on the mercy seat for the atonement of the people, if he had the blood of a defected lamb in it, instead of the lamb just dying, the priest would die. And the sins of the people would not be covered for a year. So there was always great tension among the people of Israel when they would gather around the tabernacle on the day of atonement when the blood was offered because they couldn't see the priest. He would go behind the veil and approach the mercy seat and pour the blood on the mercy seat. And there was great tension and there was a great question. Boy, I sure hope the lamb was worthy. I, sh I sure hope the blood will be effective because uh, I got a whole lot of mess on me this year. I got a whole lot of charges on my rap sheet this year. I really need that blood to be effective. I ain't strong enough to be a better person. I ain't strong enough to clean my act up. I really need that blood to be effective so that I can have the grace to keep going. I really need that blood to be worthy. So there's this question, was the lamb worthy? Hey, Johnny, have you found out yet if the lamb was worthy? They were passing information back and forth among all their tribes. Was the lamb worthy? Hey, does anybody know if the lamb was worthy? You ever been waiting on something really important, just really tense or really anxious about it, checking your phone every 30 seconds as if it had ringed? You know, maybe you just missed it somehow and you're just worried about it. That was the feeling of the tension. Is the lamb worthy? And that's why in the book of Revelation, the Bible closes its it closes its books. It closes its chapter. It closes its bloody pages with an answer to that question. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb. The angels started singing it to each other when the first drop of Jesus' blood was spilled. And the scripture says they have never stopped singing it. There's a song being sung in heaven. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In fact, the angels face each other face to face and they cry out these words, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb. The blood was worthy. The sacrifice was worthy. The sacrifice is accepted. God is pleased. God has accepted it. Grace has been released. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb. If you messed up real bad, I got good news. The lamb's still worthy to cover you. If you got a lot of sin on you, a lot of dirt on you, a lot of mess in your past. I got good news. The lamb's blood was worthy. Worthy is the lamb. The lamb had to be worthy. Num number four from verse seven, the blood had to be applied. They verse seven, they shall take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Today, we apply the blood of Jesus our Passover lamb, we apply that blood to our hearts by faith. Instead of using a hyssop branch, which interestingly in the Old Testament was known as the tongue branch because it was shaped like a tongue. Instead of taking a hyssop branch and dipping it in the blood and slapping it on the doors uh, and the lintel, we use our tongue. And by faith, Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that he died and rose again, you shall be saved. So we apply the blood of Passover today by inward belief and outward confession. Inward belief, outward confession. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That's the book, but it's a bloody book. That's the way, but it's a bloody way. Innocent blood had to be shed for your guilty life to be cleansed and covered. And the blood worked and the blood was effective. When you apply the blood of Jesus to your heart by faith, by inward belief and outward confession, the same thing happens to you 
that happened to the Israelites in the book of Exodus when they applied the blood of the lamb. God said, I'm coming down. I'm going to strike Egypt with judgment. I'm going to visit every house. But wherever I see the blood, I will pass over you. Then he said, and the plague. And the plague. Whatever's plaguing you, I'm going to make that pass over too. Two things happen when you come into contact with the blood of Jesus by faith. Two things happen during this Passover season that God honors. Number one, judgment has to pass over you. Number two, the plague, whatever your plague is, has to pass over you and leave you alone. Now, the Passover doesn't mean a whole lot unless you're guilty. The Passover don't mean a whole lot to you unless you realize the judgment that you deserve. The Passover don't mean a whole lot to you if you walk around with such a prideful stance in your heart and your life that you don't think you deserve anything negative to happen to you. But there's a few of us that remember where we would be. There's a few of us that know the judgment we deserved. There's a few of us that know that if we would have received what we deserved, we would have never been able to deal with it. We would have never been able to stand up under it. We would have never been able to recover of it. There's a, there's a few of us that know. And when you know what God is going to make pass over you, when you know what God has already made pass over you, it'll make you thankful. It'll make you tenderhearted. It'll make the season beautiful to you. It'll make the season special to you. It'll make the cross every time you look at it. It'll make you begin to survey your history and survey all of the things that God made pass over you. There's things that God made pass over you that you don't even know about. There's accidents you could have been in that you didn't even see coming. There were assassins planted around you that would have tried to destroy your character that you never knew about. There were lies told about you that God snuffed out before they ever turned into gossip. There's a whole lot of stuff that God just made pass over you. There were people that were playing like they wanted to be in a relationship with you, but they had an ulterior motive. God made it pass over you. There were things that the enemy intended to use to break your heart, and you went through the trouble, but to your surprise, your heart made it. God caused it to pass over you. He said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And then number five, the blood is a sign. The blood is a sign. He said the blood will be a sign to you. It's a sign to you. He told him, I want you to celebrate what I did for you when the blood of the lamb was applied to your life. I want you to celebrate that forever. Did you hear it when I read it in the text? He said an everlasting ordinance, an everlasting point of memory, an everlasting point of worship, an everlasting point of adoration. He said, I want you to remember this. Uh, he goes on to say, when your children ask you what you're doing, celebrating the Passover, he said, I want you to tell them the story of where you were when the blood caused judgment to pass over you. I want you to pass this truth from generation to generation of what happened when I made what you deserved pass over you and I delivered you from your bondage and your affliction. I want you to tell this story. I want you to tell this testimony every time you get the chance. I want you to remember what I did when I made the thing pass over. And not only is the blood a sign, he says the blood's going to be a sign to you, but not only was it a sign to them, and not only is the blood a sign to us, it's also a point of remembrance. In other words, God was letting them know, you're going to go through some things in the wilderness, and, and the hardships of life are going to make you question whether I'm really for you or not. And when you question whether I'm really for you or not, Look back at the blood, and the blood will be a sign to you. You're going to go through some times where you wonder, does God really love me? When you wonder, does God really love me? Look back at the sign. The blood's going to be a sign for you. When you question if there's really purpose in your life, look back at the sign, and the blood will be a sign for you. The blood Jesus shed on the cross, it'll be a sign for you. And then it's also a sign for God. Because I want you to think about this.
God told them in Exodus, 15, over 1,500 years before the cross. He told them in Exodus, mark this time on the, cal- on the calendar, celebrate it every year. It's the Lord's Passover. It's my feast. Celebrate it every year. And over 1,500 years to the night, the same night all those lambs died, over 1,500 years to the night, Jesus Christ was hung on the cross. Nails were driven in his hands and his feet. A crown of thorns was twisted on his head. He was raised up and hung on that crooked, cruel beam. On the night of the Passover. That's why Paul said in the text I read you in 1 Corinthians, Christ is our Passover lamb. So let us, New Testament believers, keep the feast without malice. Let's remove the leaven. Leaven is a type of sin. It's a type of evil deeds. Let's remove the leaven from our lives and let's live as the unleavened bread that we really are. Because in reality, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, God sees you as something that you don't even see yourself as. Paul said, in reality, from God's perspective, you are unleavened bread. Your lives have been cleansed. Your lives have been purified. Your sin has been forgiven and removed for you, from you. So, so, so stop doing things that you're not. Let us keep the feast. Paul said, don't, don't get confused. You are not what you do. You're doing some crazy stuff now, but that's not who you really are. Are. Christ is our Passover lamb and his blood and his work has been applied to our lives. So let's keep the feast. Okay. This is the Passover message. So this is why, uh, if you weren't here last week, this is why we're preparing our resurrection seat to bring on Passover weekend. This is why we are every week. We are setting aside one day's income in our envelope and we're praying over it because God told us in his word, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. God told us in his word that you shall reap what you sow. And every year to honor this Passover season, when God gave his very best, the lamb of God, we come together to honor him, not to buy a miracle. Don't get it twisted. This isn't about buying a miracle. It's just about understanding what he releases when this season is honored, when it's treasured, when the truths of it are preached, when the reality of it is glorified and worshiped. Christ, our Passover lamb. Christ, the one that brings salvation, the one that brings deliverance, and the one that brings blessing. Christ, our Passover lamb. It's why I've been preaching to you all year. Get your hopes up. The importance of faith and hope going together. You, you, need, you need hope because without hope, faith is a bridge to nowhere. So what are you hoping for? What are you believing for? Engage your faith in the miracle nature of this incredible season that we're stepping into. I want to encourage you to be here with us on Good Friday. I want to encourage you to be with us on Resurrection Sunday morning. I want to encourage you to observe, to set your attention, to set your focus on the Passover, on Christ, our Passover lamb that was offered for us. Stand to your feet and give the Lord a praise all over the house this morning. Amen. 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 I pray the beauty, the beauty of the message resounds in your heart. I pray you know that you know how loved you are by a God who has loved us with a love that is incomprehensible. I pray you'll just begin to sense it. I pray you begin to find yourself in the word and find what do I need from the Lord in this season? What what do I need from the Lord? in this season. If God thought so much of this season where his son would die, that he attached miraculous elements to it, 
What do I need from the Lord in this season? I pray you would reflect, am I eating the lamb? Am I doing more than just applying the blood and asking for forgiveness? Am I feasting on Jesus? Do I have spiritual life in me, not just covering me, not just the blood covering me? Do I have it in me? Do I have it in my conversation? Do I have it in my thoughts? Do I have it in my marriage relationship? Do I have it in my relationship with my children? Do I have it in me? Am I feasting and consuming Jesus? I want you to search yourself and see, have I really, have I really understood and let the penny drop that, that I killed the lamb, that it was for crimes that I had done, sins I had committed. It was for what I did that Jesus had to die. Have you done that? Have you confessed with your mouth while at the same time believing in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, his life? his death, his burial, and his resurrection. If you haven't, Romans 10 makes it so simple. You can just gently put your hand on your heart and say, I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he lived for me and died for me and God raised him from the dead for me. And I plead the blood of Jesus over my life right now. I plead the blood of Jesus over my mind right now. I plead the blood of Jesus over my future right now. In Jesus' name. Give the Lord a praise wherever you are. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 The glory and beauty and radiance of the Lord be upon you today. The strength of God encourage you and strengthen you wherever the struggle is. And Lord, we pray your blessing. We pray your blessing. We pray your blessing. We pray your blessing. In the name of Jesus. By the word of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, we pray your blessing. God bless you. We love you so much. If you have something you would like to give in the offering today, you can bring it up here. If you're watching online, you can give it online. Remember to prepare your resurrection seed. Remember, don't, don't just go through the motion. Every day, hold that envelope. Everybody say, hold that envelope. And if you haven't got a resurrection seat envelope yet, you can see one of our ushers. You take it home with you. You prepare a special offering. You, you pray over it every day. You add your request to it. Pray over it every day. God's going to work miracles in this Passover season. God bless you, Christian world. We love you so much. If you have something you want to give, you can bring it. We'll see you Wednesday.